0: podcasting from hartford you're listening to the connecticut scoreboard podcast
1: all right it, it's summertime if you're like me now's the time you really catch up on your reading and we've got an author of a book I, I really enjoyed nick green joining us uh how to watch basketball like a genius is the book nick thank you so much for coming on the podcast today
0: hey thanks for having me
1: yeah i, I know in connecticut we're, we're a college basketball junkie state we, we like our basketball so it we, we like to probably think we're already watching basketball like a genius but th- this book is uh is a great follow-up for anyone who thinks they might be a genius
0: <laughs> well well thank you yeah it's um it's it's for for geniuses non-geniuses as a uh, a non-genius myself um uh you know i can attest to the fact that that uh you don't have to be a genius to enjoy it i don't think
1: so, so nick as a Started reading the book, I was just fascinated by the people you were talking to, to, to get some perspectives on basketball. Take us through how the idea for this book came about and, and how you decided who to reach out to, to talk to for it.
0: Yeah, you know, I um, had done a series with Slate, right? I talked to experts in um, sort of random fields about, uh, this was actually LeBron James's free agency um, decision uh, back before he joined the Lakers. And it was sort of a, a jokey fun little series but uh in doing it I actually found myself having just a great time talking to these people about basketball and and surprising myself um at how much I could learn from them about how they watched the game um so I sort of expanded it uh to include you know just views on the game itself um its history uh and writing the book I started to research his history and 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 go through you know the the, the early days with with Naismith uh, getting his class of incorrigibles to um uh, basically stop beating each other up during a, a hard uh Western Massachusetts winter um to present day basketball. And and I, I thought, you know, this is you know such a a fascinating history and a fascinating sport that I wanted to get as many perspectives on it as I could. Um, and you asked you know how I went about Choosing these people and finding these people, it really was um, trial and error and just being curious and reaching out and, and seeing uh, who might uh, who might have some interesting stuff to say.
1: What, what were their reactions when you'd reach out to them? Because I feel like, you know, if you call like a, a magician out of the blue, uh, you know, or someone associated with the ballet and we're like, we want to talk basketball with you. What, what was the reaction when, when you posed that to them?
0: Surprise, usually. Um <laughs> a lot of people would, you know, their first reaction would be that, well, I won't be of any help. Um, this isn't my field of expertise. Uh, but, you know, it didn't take long to sort of just shoot the shit with them about basketball and and, and know that yeah. they were comfortable talking about basketball. Um, and uh, I think they're also, you know, these are very smart people, accomplished people in their own fields. So getting to talk to them about, about what they do and what they find interesting and 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 not just basketball but you know kind of these sort of satellites uh floating around them as well uh that was um something that i found very um uh, telling and and, and yeah, enriching definitely. to the to the sort of story i think
1: yeah, def- definitely. So I, I want to go through because there were a couple ones I, I think we that had uh, a few ties to Connecticut here that we could talk to that I thought were a lot of fun, and sure. I, I think probably the most obvious one, and, and I was it brought a smile on my face when I opened up the chapter on it, and that's free throws, and that's with uh, one of UConn greats, uh, Andre Drummond, uh, gets a, yes. gets a nice shout out in the book here, uh, <laughs> in, in, in talking about his free throw woes. I know, you know, we we got to witness some of those firsthand. Uh, here at uconn seeing him play and and those are kind of during the early days in college and you saw those issues persist through the nba and i remember i was at one of the open practices and i remember they had like two or three coaches working with him on free throw form and i was just shocked by it it was like you know this guy is huge he's a monster like he could put back dunks like anything um you know but (laughs) but he struggled with free throws
0: um and you think guy, Yeah, well, sorry yeah. I, I didn't uh, use Ray Allen as my example. I think that would have been maybe yeah. kinder to, to UConn. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but take us through, I mean, there were just some things I found fascinating well, around the free throw, you know, debate, uh, so to call it, that, that you talk about in the book. Some of the different variables around free throw shooting. And then then we could talk a little bit about my favorite topic of whether or not these guys should shoot underhand, uh, the ones that struggle. yeah. <laughs>
0: You know, it's it's so interesting because you know free throws are such a um, uh, such a different part of the game. You know, it's the only time the game really grinds to a halt. Um, it's the only real time when you know you know the, the a person's teammates will never be there to bail them out, mm-hmm. um, and inversely, the opponents will never be there to actually play defense on them. Uh, it's sort of this little uh, science experiment. Um, just because it's stayed the same since the game's earliest days. You know, basketball is not like baseball. It embraces change. Um, That's so much what the Mm -hmm. book is about, is is how it's changed and why it's changed. Um, It's changed so much, but free throws have remained the same. Um, So you really are able to look at them as some sort of fascinating experiment. And, And the fact that in the NBA and college, free throw percentages, by and large, haven't changed at all. Yeah they hover around, you know, I believe it was 70% in the NBA and a little bit below that uh, in in the uh, college game. And, you know, kind of approaching it like a a, a experiment, I found um, these uh, 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 dynamicists, physicists uh, from NC State who had done um, lots of of studies on free throws, uh, you know, for fun, because they have better things to do with their jobs yeah. um but they they love basketball and and so I talked to them about their findings and and you know they 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 found the perfect um uh the hurts and the angles and the 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 speed at which the ball should be released they found the exact perfect free throw uh sort of all the the the, the data and and variables but the one sort of thing that always you can't count on is the person taking them um, right it's such a a mental thing you know and, and and the most important thing is, is when it comes to form, uh, they seem to think is, is, is not to find a quote unquote perfect form, but to find the form that the individual player can replicate with the most consistency.
1: Interesting. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's definitely a fun topic. Cause you're always, uh,
0: I'm, I'm, I'm curious to ask you though, when you were watching drum and working with those coaches, do you remember, uh, if he was hitting his free throws, the majority of his free throws during that period?
1: Oh, I'm trying to think. I, I would say it was probably, oh I'm, I'm trying to remember. All I can remember is seen like there were like two or three coaches. Like they had one guy like holding his back in a position, like one guy trying to like work on his elbow location. I, I do recall like him making, being able to make some of them at least. I, I remember from yeah. that, but I, I just remember it was crazy. I'm like, this guy's a, a star. Like he's going to be a lottery pick when he goes next year. And you hear there are like, Three coaches working on the side with him uh, on free
0: throw shooting, um, and, and it's it, it's amazing it like to think you know how bad his yet. yeah and how bad his 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 career free throw percentage is in the pros, but but for how bad it is, um, it's a minor miracle that it's gotten as high as it is because yeah. his first yeah. years um, were historic. I mean, beyond yeah. historic. Um, so it's kind of fat. You know, you, you can look at him as a. Um, I don't like to look at him. And I don't think I did look at him as a example of, of, of failure. I, I quite the opposite. I thought it was um, he was a good example of, of that you can improve your free throws, but just how difficult it can be. Yeah. And,
1: and I think you had a line in the book that like the game where he set a record for, you know, worse free throw percentage in the game, it actually raised his overall free throw percentage.
0: Yeah, it was, he had, you know, I think he shot something in the high twenties of, of, of numbers of, of, free throw attempts that game. And um, you know, he made almost none, but it was still better than he was averaging. Yeah. It's yeah. The, the stuff is, is, is mind boggling when it comes to him. And, and I think it's uh you know, you look at him now and you can watch how his, his form has evolved and it can't help by going from different coaches to different coaches yeah. uh, and changing your form constantly, which he's been doing, but I mean, he's what around fifty percent now, and yeah. and that's yeah. I think he should stop what he's doing and just take it. Yeah, <laughs> you know, that's yeah. that's good enough.
1: <laughs> exactly, and then I I think what's so interesting is we've seen like both ends of the spectrum at UConn because when they won their last title in twenty fourteen the team averaged like 90% from the line. I think it was John Calipari who was like, it's not even worth fouling him at the end of the game because it doesn't do anything. Like you just let him dribble it out. So it's amazing to see the discrepancies and what happens when you have someone who can barely shoot 50% compared to a team that could shoot 90% from the line. And the difference it makes in a game is just fascinating.
0: Yeah, you know, I, what do you think are more interesting? Uh, Great free throws or terrible free throws? Oh, that's a good one like if you're
1: looking for entertainment like the bad ones are the ones that like always like really like just take your breath away you're like wow like he didn't even hit the rim on that like
0: (laughs) there's a little um the sort of macabre you know thing that people say about watching nascar you know watching it for the crashes yeah when someone like steph curry or ray allen would get sent to the line uh, you know you could you could be forgiven if you're you know, you check your phone yeah. Given they're going to make those two free throws. But yeah. when uh, Andre Drubin gets sent to the line, you know, that's when yeah. when Giannis yeah. gets sent to the line, it's, that's must-see
1: TV. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that's the thing, like, especially these NBA playoffs, it's just been, like, blowing my mind. It's like, Giannis is this, like, all-NBA MVP player and, you know, can't make his free throws. And you, like, see him at the line, yeah. and his game just falls apart completely.
0: Yeah. Although I, I do think it was, you know, that – the scotty pippen interview recently where he mentioned that Giannis clearly doesn't care about missing his free throws because yeah. he throws himself down the lane which is true i mean i gotta give him credit it's yeah he's he be he terrible at them but at least he's uh you know very uh uh okay with the prospect of shooting them
1: yeah and what, what what did you think of the part in your book that again just cracked me up too is the idea of the underhanded free throws uh you know i I feel like there's a story every few years where it's like so and so is going to try it out for a game or something and that's it like is it something you think should be seen a little bit more from players out there
0: yeah you know so i talked to the um the physicists about it and they'd done lots of lots of study and and, um their sort of take and their um conclusions about it were interesting uh they said that the the underhand free throw is not inherently more accurate you know if you in fact, that the overhand free throw, when done perfectly or done as good as it can be done, mm-hmm. is a better fo- um, motion. The thing that the underhand free throw has going for it is there's basically only one motion. It's very pendular. It's extremely hard to mess up. You don't, you know, have to worry about hitches in your elbow yeah. and 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 how it comes off your palm or fingers, that kind of stuff. It's a very straightforward, easy to replicate um, form of shooting. So, yeah, I mean. It, Will Chamberlain did it briefly which I mentioned in the book and he um his free throw uh percentage skyrocketed but he stopped because he said it made him look like a sissy. Shaq wouldn't even consider trying it. Um you know it's a kind of thing that uh eventually I do think eventually someone will a, a big star will do it. Yeah. Um you just think it it's going to have to happen. Um it, you know, big star since Rick Barry. And I think the fact that Rick Barry was such a divisive and hated player amongst his peers really uh, didn't help the fact, uh, didn't help the, the the underhand free throw take, you know, popularity. Yeah, no, agreed.
1: I want to talk while we're on shooting.
0: I think one thing
1: I've I've been fascinated, because I, I hadn't heard of the story before, and that, that's the, the team over at Grinnell that just jacks up threes to yeah. through what it was like to, to talk to the coach there a little bit more about his system and what it was like, because I, you always see, I feel like for the past, I don't know. I, I remember just looking back and you'd see scores ESPN would have a story on them like every year when they put up just a crazy number of points in a game, but it's just such an interesting story to me. And it's such an interesting concept that he has there to, to really just jack threes the whole game.
0: Yeah. They, well, they do a lot of, um, crazy things. Uh, but the three pointer is, you know, their reliance on it was what interested me the most because, you know, they started doing this in the late eighties, early nineties. Um, and, uh, you know, their sort of strategy when it came to three pointers is what you see the rockets doing, um, you know, it, it, it or, or doing back when Daryl Morey was sort of their, uh, figurehead and yep. in charge. Um, it's, uh, uh, that tactic was, they were, decades ahead of their time. Um, and I spoke with the inventor of, they call it the system, the, the coach, the longtime coach there. And it was so interesting that I, you know, they had turned it into a sort of math, mathematical equation, they, a literal equation that's that's in the book of, of how to win games and, and with three pointers and, 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 and um, pace and everything. But it wasn't the sort of thing you expect analytic mindset they didn't come to the conclusion to shoot more threes from analytics it wasn't um they didn't look at the numbers and crunch them and do what the daryl Morey's and the other mm-hmm. kind of um quants uh have done in the nba it's what they did was was basically the coach didn't have any big guys he couldn't recruit good forwards or centers uh he had a bunch of kids who could shoot and he thought well why don't we just do what we're good at and just shoot all games, shoot long range threes all game because you're not getting inside. And it was a way to sort of not win, but make his players have, you know, feel like they were a part of something and, and, and do something different. And it was sort of, he was at the end of his rope. I mean, he was, you know, he, he didn't know what to do with, with his career as a basketball coach and thought, well, we might as well have fun and do what we're good at. And that turned into this system that not only won games, but foreshadowed what basketball would turn into
1: yeah no it's it's such an interesting concept to me and i i have to make it out there and, and kind of because i think they're still running this yeah. system out there right
0: they are yeah. yeah and you can and you can watch it on um you know on youtube it's 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 not just the threes it's the the, the platooning they constantly sub in guys because yeah they're running and running, running and they're yeah. always trapping um, no, and it makes sense it's something that you know you watch any even division one high level you know, March Madness quality college basketball teams at that level have trouble with the trap. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, why not they, just yeah. trap always? Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. you know, against Grinnell teams would figure it out, but so what, <laughs> you yeah, know, they yeah. figure it out, but it's too late. Cause they're already. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They're raining very, down on them.
1: Yeah. No, there, there's another part in the book and I think it relates here at UConn, Dan Hurley, the head coach, he just preaches defense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you've got a, a whole yeah. bit on, on defense here. And I think, he, I think it was an astrophysicist you talked to uh, on defense here and yeah. the importance of it. And it, it was just something that was just so interesting to me. Take us just through a little bit what you learned about the importance of defense and the role that plays.
0: Yeah. Well, the, the thing that it became clear to me was, was, is that good defense is essentially invisible. Um, I think uh, people who are smarter or uh, been with the game longer and think and can look at it more um, analytically and, and and, uh, from that vantage point, may have a a better sort of understanding of it. But to me who I'm just a fan who watches a lot of basketball, good defense has always seemed somewhat invisible. I can, you know, it's almost, it's predictive. um, It's getting to spots. It's being on a string. It's, it's preventing the other team from doing what they want to do. Um, It is, you know, for lack of a better term, the absence of good offense, right? You don't know, you don't see good defense until yeah. the offense breaks down. No. Um, it, 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 it almost looks like bad basketball because the, they're not letting the offensive half do their, their part. right. Um, and so I basically, yeah, I, I reached out to a, uh, a astrophysicist, this brilliant guy um, at Oak Ridge national laboratory who uh, he's a guy who's in control of the most powerful supercomputer in the world um it's uh and and he you know does all this modeling and mapping of um stuff happening in the furthest reaches of the universe uh big bang or not big Bang so well yeah yeah, he does some stuff with the big bang but you know um supernovas uh things like that uh that we can't see but we know is going on um he sort of has to use the data and visualize all the stuff that's happening that will we can't see and, and chances are we will never see um so uh, he's also a huge basketball fan and so I just asked him to kind of go through step by step what he sees in his mind when he thinks of good basketball defense and he had a funny answer that was sort of immediate because um, he's you know he's used to thinking like this and he said it reminded him of an iridescent turtle shell. Uh, sort of all these uh hexagons and, and, and cells circling like the different members of a defensive unit and sort of yeah. pushing the offense to the perimeter and keeping it out. And I thought that was fascinating. And it was sort of after he told me that, that it's how I, <laughs> it's how I look at it now too.
1: There was another part in the defense that was just always cracks me up and it's a debate we're having all the time in basketball and that's about flopping um i I know you talked to someone else about flopping it and and whether or not it's a good thing or not well take us through some of the thoughts that that you found out on flopping
0: yeah so for flopping i i went and talked to a soap opera casting director um because you know she obviously can tell when when someone's uh faking crying and then when they're really uh uh, doing a good job and meaning it um uh but she was you know it was interesting she had a you know her advice to floppers or would-be floppers out there I think is is good which was which was to um don't make a meal of it uh you know uh, be subtle trick yourself into actually thinking that you're gonna fall over which turns out there were studies conducted about um flopping that that it the physics of it is is it is a lot of the times when you see a player fall over it's genuine mm-hmm. um it, because just the way that when 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 a person that size is coming at that speed you're going to fall off you know and 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 the thrusting your arms out is a natural response so Mm -hmm. it um as much as we hate flopping it is uh it is a a, it's it's something that's going to happen because embellishment is always going to happen but the embellishment might not always be necessary um So it's it's sort of a thing that that we might never get a, a the best floppers out there are probably the ones that we don't consider floppers. <laughs> interesting,
1: in, interesting. There, I, I know we went through uh, you know a few of the different areas that you touch on in the book. Uh, I don't want to give it all away because I, I do want everyone uh, to recommend uh, reading it because I, I really did enjoy it. But, well, thank you. Um, you know, I, I'll wrap with this one from the people you spoke to. Did, did you have a favorite uh, story or? or you know, point that they brought up about basketball that it just like really stood out to you.
0: I didn't have a favorite. Um gosh, but but you know it was fascinating. I mean the the um astrophysicist was yeah was a treat especially because he just had such a clear picture of defense you know exactly what I was asking him. Um I love talking to a Rube Goldberg uh designer oh, yeah, yeah about um, teamwork and, and, and also how to design basketball plays and, um, you know, learning from him was, was, was great because I had always assumed, and I think I'm not alone, that Rube Goldberg machines are meticulously planned because they're so intricate and, um, uh, they're so sort of, um, yeah, as I, as I said, intricate, I think is the, the word to use there, but it turns out they're usually just completely improvised, um, because it's just you you, he said you dump a bunch of crap on the floor and start building and one thing leads to another and it you know it it mimicked and mirrored uh what basketball plays often turn into is you have different Mm -hmm. options you know maybe you'll draw it up one way but you're not always going to have that option in front of you uh you know Sometimes it works perfectly. We saw um, the Valley OOP in the NBA playoffs, and yep. DeAndre Ayton uh, dunk against the Clippers. That was a play that really had one option, uh, and it either would work and it didn't, wor- or did not or not work, and it yep. worked. But otherwise, in the middle of a flow of a game, you'll have the point guard initiating something, and everything sort of flows from there, branching possibilities. Um, and it, it, it was, you know, very similar to how those crazy Rube Goldberg machines uh, come to be.
1: Yeah, well, no, that that's a fun part there as well. Uh, but Nick, I, I really appreciate the time. Again, How to Watch Basketball Like a Genius is the book here. Uh, definitely recommend you you put it on. We still got a little bit, bit, bit of time left here in summer. Get it on your summer reading. or we, we still got some time here in Connecticut before college basketball really gets underway. So you, you've got plenty of time to get ready for this upcoming season to, to be able to watch Basketball Like a Genius. So uh, Nick, really appreciate the time and thanks so much for coming on.
0: My pleasure. Thank you.
1: Absolutely.